You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Wonderful. Good morning, all. I'm going to continue our series after God's heart in 1 Samuel. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 27. And uh, I can't think of any other way of doing this other than just reading straight through uh, There's two quite long, uh, I've got chapter 27 and chapter 29, but it's very hard to sort of simply summarize this episode. Uh, David, as we know, uh, those of us who are students of uh, Christian history and Jewish history, is a very significant character in uh, the whole narrative of both of those faiths. If you're not so familiar with the, the story of the Bible, David is a very familiar character. You may have heard of him. Uh, from his exploits fighting Goliath. That's coming to our own folklore about uh, a man against all odds taking down a giant uh, enemy. And uh, so I was preaching about this uh, the last time I was here, a few weeks ago. I was preaching about uh, what we can learn from David's victory over Goliath, really as a sort of a picture to us of the victory of Jesus over Satan, rendering Satan powerless, cutting off his head. And we're like the fearful Israelites there who were too afraid and ill-equipped to go up against uh, the enemy. But now we can enjoy all the benefits of the victory of Jesus, just as Israel enjoyed all the benefits of David's victory over Goliath. So here we have this enormous hero in, uh, in the history of uh, the people of Israel and also in our history as Christians, because we, we like to look at David and learn something about Uh, our great and glorious king to come, Jesus Christ. And also we hear in this narrative about Saul, who was the current king of Israel. Um, But uh, Saul, really, his time was coming to an end. He had attracted the displeasure of God. Uh, God had anointed David as his successor, and Saul was consumed with jealousy, very threatened by David, and was trying to hound David out and even kill him if he had the opportunity. And that's a bit of the context into which we come in now, just reading from 1 Samuel 27. So David said in his heart, key phrase, we're going to come back to that again and again. David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Are you kidding, David? This is a tragic story. It's David, you know, these Philistines, these uncircumcised fellows who would worship other gods and set themselves up against the God of Israel. They say, no, nothing better for me than to go and run and hide with the Philistines. Okay? How far has he come? Then Saul will despair of seeking me. Probably not. He'll probably be delighted any longer within the borders of Israel, and I shall escape out of his hands. So David arose and went over. He and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Moak, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. And David said to Achish, if I found favor in your eyes... Let a place be given to me in one of the country towns, and I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day, 
And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. Now David and his, and his men went up and made raids against the Geshurites, the Gerzites, and the Amalekites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as far as Shur to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would not leave, and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the garments, and come back to Achish. And when Achish asked, Where have you been, where have you made a raid today? David would say, Against the Negev of Judah. So he's lying. He's saying, well, I've been fighting against the Israelites, when actually he hasn't. He's been fighting against other Philistine strongholds, against the Negev of the Jeremielites, or against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, thinking, lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. So he's killing everybody so that no one's going to go and tell uh, what he's actually been up to. So there'll be no witnesses to what he's been doing. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. And Achish trusted David, thinking, he has made himself an utter stench to his people Israel, therefore he shall always be my servant. So Achish, the Philistine king, is thinking, right, David is a turncoat now. He's, turned, he's fighting all of our uh, Israel enemies, and he's been loyal to me. Uh, which isn't strictly the case. David is lying to this guy and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've been up to beat up the Israelites, when actually he's been duffing up other Philistine kings and killing them all and their uh, women folk so that no one would uh, report on him. So then the next chapter, 28, is all about Saul and his sorry story. So we jump forward to chapter 29. The Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is in Jezreel, Jezreel. As the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? Well, might we ask. And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years, and since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day, despite the fact that David has been lying to him day and night for the last one year and four months. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Good question. Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands, then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you've been honest. No, he hasn't. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign, for I have found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now, go peaceably, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David starts begging to a Philistine king. What have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I might not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? He's pleading with the Philistines to fight against Israel. This is David, the anointed one to become king, who had taken down Goliath because he was incensed that Israel did not have the courage to face down the Philistines. The enemies of God. Are you with me on the trajectory that David has taken here? <laughs> He's gone a long way from where he began. 
Achish answered David and said, I know you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord. He came with you and start early in the morning and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning and to return to the land of the Philistines, but the Philistines went up to Jezreel. David has really crumbled under pressure. It's astonishing how far he has fallen. He has crumbled under the pressure of being constantly under assault from Saul. And he flees to the Philistines, which is an incredible thing for us to come to terms with, given that he killed their best soldier, Goliath, made all sorts of statements about these Philistines who worship other gods, were enemies of the one true God, Yahweh, and the people of God, Israel. But David has become so discouraged, even depressed, that he decides to join with the Philistines. How did this disastrous decision come about? In the first line that we read, David said, in his heart. He may never have said it out loud. He may never have said it to anyone else. He may never have even said it to God, but he said it in his own heart. What we say, what I say, what you say in your own heart has tremendous power. Tremendous power to shape your thinking, shape your actions, and even shape your destiny. We can trace, I mean, we've read through the whole two chapters of this sorry story, but it all starts here. David has convinced himself of some things that are not true. Okay? If someone says in their heart, no one cares about me. God doesn't care about me. No one will notice if I'm not here. No one's really bothered. You know, it's going to make a difference in your life if in your heart you speak to yourself like this. You know, if you speak in your heart and say, I deserve better than this. Yeah? I can find a better wife or a better husband. I deserve better. I have a right to be angry. People just have to accept me the way I am. It makes a difference in your life, you know? Well, this secret sin isn't really going to hurt anybody. The things we say in our heart make a difference in our lives. By the same principle, if someone is able to say to their heart, I know God loves me and that I'm acceptable in his sight, it's going to make a difference in your life. It will. I'm grateful for every blessing that I have. I'm going to put other people before myself and not live a selfish life. I'm going to be obedient to my king, whatever the cost. What we say in our heart has great power for good or evil, for blessing or cursing. If someone says in their heart, they're trusting their own judgment, yeah, and not trusting necessarily in the truth of God, and in the wise counsel of friends and loved ones who care for us. I don't trust my own heart. <laughs> I have to cross-brace it. 
with the truth from Scripture. I have to cross-brace it with the counsel of ones that love me. If I'm left to my own devices, I'm rubbish. Yeah? I don't trust my own heart. Some people say to me, well, I know in my knower. If I even knew what a knower was, I wouldn't trust it as far as I could throw it. <laughs> if anybody can tell me what a knower is, please come and put me right on this one. I always hesitate when I hear someone say that. Oh, I know in my knower. Well, okay, it's a phrase we use. We even use it sometimes here. But if it is taken on its own merits and not cross-braced with the truth of Scripture, with the witness of the Spirit, with the counsel of wise loved ones, with the counsel of your leaders who care for you and will be judged by God for how well we've cared for you, if you just take that on its own merits, you're vulnerable. You're vulnerable. And David here was very <laughs> vulnerable. Be very careful of the things that you say in your own heart. Make sure you can validate and verify them. And cross-brace them. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. I think you need to validate that, <laughs> verify that, and cross-brace it. If you're sat here to say, uh, today thinking, who is this raving lunatic stood up the front here? We all know there's no God. Well, have you checked it out? I'm not saying this in a confrontational way. I'm just appealing to you, saying, well, check out. Don't just sort of trust your own judgment on it. Check the evidence. Read about it. Ask people about it. Look into it. Explore it. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord, because the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay, so I don't just trust, uh, distrust my heart on its own merit. The Bible is very keen to remind me of the fact that my heart will deceive me if I'm not careful. And David's heart is deceiving him here. David has gone from being the champion of Israel against the Philistines to begging the Philistines if they can find favor with them and fight with them in their battles against Israel. I mean, it's a massive fall. It's spiritual depression. It's emotional turbulence. It's disastrous decision-making. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Amen. When we lose our trust in God, we lose everything. And David here had lost his trust in God. We, we, we see David saying and doing some really dumb things. You know, Now I'm going to perish someday by the hand of Saul. Well, God had delivered him from the hand of Saul again and again and again. Why would he think God wouldn't do it again? There's nothing better, nothing better for me that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. I could think of a few things better. Saul will despair of me to seek me anymore in any part of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. God had protected David before from Saul. Why would David think God would not continue to do so? Here's a quote from none other than Spurgeon, who says, To doubt the loving kindness of God is thought by some to be a very small sin. 
In fact, some have even exalted the doubts and fears of God's people into fruits and grace and evidences of great advancement in experience. You following that? You know? Oh, yeah, you, you have some doubts. Yeah, yeah, we all have doubts. You know, when you go on in this Christian walk, you, you have your doubts and so on. And we sort of exalt this. And Spurgeon says, it is humiliating to observe that certain ministers have pampered and petted men in unbelief and distrust of God. Far be it for me to smite the feeble of the flock, but their sins I must and will smite. (laughs) Since it is my firm conviction that to doubt the kindness, the faithfulness, and the love of God is a very heinous offence. <laughs> I love that quote. You know, it's not a small thing to say, oh, you know, you know, I'm not sure I can trust God on this. No, it's a massive thing because that's the whole deal. Being a Christian is about, tr- if we don't trust God, what are we trusting? Yeah? Well, David was given up on trusting God and was trusting his own heart. How in the name of all that is sensible could he conclude that it would be better to be among the enemies of God? Why would Saul despair of him? He'd be delighted that David had run away. None of this makes any sense. Saul does not drive David away. David's own despair and discouragement does it for him. It's the incoherent thoughts and actions of a depressed and discouraged man, exhausted from handling all sorts of pressure, who has withdrawn from consulting God or any other wise counsel, and is now listening to his own fearful and flawed heart for advice about what is best to do. Now, be honest. Many of us have experienced this in our walk with God. Many of us have experienced this. So exhausted from handling pressures of life, pressures of temptation, Back in 1 Samuel 21, David starts toying with the idea of running off to the Philistines. The seed was sown in his heart. The temptation was sown. And then later he acts on that temptation. You know, Maybe you're in this place right now as I speak. And I want to speak to us a warning. And I want to speak to us an encouragement. And I've only got six minutes to do it. So from this point in this narrative, I'm going to go very, very fast till I get to uh, my landing point, okay? David embarks on a series of terrible decisions that see him arriving at a very low point in his life, making alliances with the Philistine king, taking his own wives with him, and 600 men and their families. If you are wrestling, if you've found yourself in a place of despair, it doesn't just affect you. If you find yourself in a place of discouragement and despondency and dis you know, disillusionment with God, it doesn't just affect you, it affects your family, it affects lots of people around you, as it did for David here. David dwelt with Achish, it's not the first time, you know, he had gone over briefly before, uh, thinking that he might make, make a place of refuge there, and it quickly turned sour, and he pretended to be mad to get out of there, if people know that story. But it's worthy of note, because it was like a seed sown, it was like, you know, a small sin at that point, he went over, dabbled with it, and then ran away, and now he's gone, you know, things that have taken a small root in our heart can find their full flower later if we don't root it out and deal with it when the opportunity arises. We see the root of this sin taking full flower later. And then he starts 
seeking refuge and favor among the Philistines, which is unthinkable just a short while ago when he triumphed over Goliath. He's lying to cover his tracks. He's murdering men and women to make sure he's not exposed. We know that that won't be the last time he does that either when he falls into sin with Bathsheba and then uh, manages to conspire for Uriah to be disposed of, Bathsheba's husband. It's another unchecked sin. It's a disaster. It's a disaster. Is this the man that we read about after God's own heart? Yes. It's still the same man. But being a man or a woman after God's own heart doesn't mean that we will never face these pressures or that we would never sin. It means that we know how to deal with these things when they come along. But the Bible is honest enough to show us that people that we would exalt as our greatest heroes, and David would be one of the greatest heroes of the Bible, he had his flaws. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into sort of a a pecking order of sins, (laughs) but this guy really, I think we could conclude, had blown it. Really had blown it. Fighting for the very enemies of God, murdering people to keep him quiet to cover his own lies, but it is a warning and an encouragement, right? This instruction, this account of David is given for our instruction so that we might avoid some of the traps he fell into. Sometimes people will look at characters in the Bible and think, oh, it's okay, he's been through that, Um, you know, it's okay if I'm going through this as well. Yeah, in a way, we can say that, but actually, if we are tempted to go through something, Reading about David doesn't validate us going through something. So if we're tempted to start to just listen to our own heart and reject the counsel of God and the counsel of others, David's story is a warning to us. It's a warning to us. It's not, um, in a sense, validating that course of behavior. Okay? It's a warning that we would learn from David that we would not do the same. We need to learn from these accounts. He said in his own heart, he revisited old sin. He lies, kills, lives the lie, joins with the Philistines, hides in the world. Are you facing discouragement and pressure right now? There's a warning here. Are you feeling the the heat? Are you under spiritual pressure? Are you discouraged of heart? There's a warning here. Do not, I plead with you, retreat to your own heart. This is not the time to withdraw when you're feeling discouraged, when you're thinking, I don't know why I'm even bothered coming here today. You know, all those people seem to be enjoying their worship. It meant nothing to me. Where's God now? I cannot deal with the pressure anymore. That is not the time to withdraw. That is the time to press in. That is the very time to say, right, I will set my face and I'm going to walk towards God. I'm going to embrace my friends and say, help me here. I don't want, to, I don't want this to spiral out of control because I'm taking the warning from David here. David spiraled out of control because he was just listening to his own heart and not cross-bracing with the truth of God, not giving up on the everlasting love of God, not giving up on his friends who love him and want the best for him. Don't retreat. Reach out to those who love 
and care for you. Don't retreat to your own heart. Flee to God. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't go down the path that David went down here, making disastrous decision after disastrous decision. Even the mighty David could and would fall and fail. This does not legitimize us going through the same process. It instructs us how to avoid going through the same process. It's a warning to us. Yeah? It's a warning. It's a loving warning to those who are discouraged and under pressure today. There's a way out. There's always a way out. Jesus is always sufficient. We use sufficient in as much as I've just about had enough. The the sufficiency of Jesus that we read about in Scripture is that he is more than enough for everything that you would ever face. He's more than enough. Don't give up trusting Jesus because you're facing pressure. He is enough. Do you feel you've blown it and have strayed so far from God like David that you can't possibly see a way back? If only these people knew what I was really into. If only these people in this room knew what I'd done, where I've been, they wouldn't even allow me in the room. Do you feel you've really blown it? You're as far from where you were the, the champion of God at one time. You used to be leading from the front and worshipping and, and bringing spiritual contributions and encouraging people and serving, and now you're nowhere. Well, this is an encouragement for you. <laughs> this is... God did not give up on David. God did not give up on David. Despite David's fall, despite David's failure, despite how far David fell, God did not give up on the destiny that he had promised for David. Yeah? And David found his way back. You're going to hear about that in a future message. I'm, I'm going to leave us a little bit down there because it's a bit like at the East End, the cliffhanger. Like, do, 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 do. How does David get back from this place? He does. Yeah, he does. And part of it is by starting to inquire of God again. Starting to listen to what God has to say. And you'll hear all about that later. But if you're in that place where you think, you know, I am so far from God. I just want to tell you, God will not give up on you. He did not give up on David. He is always faithful to his promise and his destiny. Right? The only person, I've I've come to the conclusion, the only person that can default a person's destiny is himself, really. (laughs) No one else can do that. I take great comfort from that as a pastor when I have to sort of sometimes speak quite strongly into people's lives and, and, or maybe I have to prohibit people and say, no, here's a boundary. You can't cross that boundary. And they're saying, oh, you are quenching my destiny. And I think, no, I don't have the authority to do that, actually. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. You know, If I'm wrong and if I'm out of step, God will go around me. You don't have to worry about me. You don't have to worry about God. He's the one you have to worry about. <laughs> you know? But we can default our own destiny. But here, God will never give up. If we put our faith and our confidence in him, he will never give up on us. He doesn't give up on David. We will see he delivers him to his destiny. He doesn't give up on Peter when Peter denies him. He delivers him into his destiny. He doesn't give up on Paul when he makes an idiot of himself in public and has to be carried away in a basket and hide for years and years before he can even be brought out in public again. He doesn't give up on Paul. He doesn't give up on Gideon when he's hiding from the enemy. Mighty warrior. He doesn't give up. He will deliver us to our destiny. God can redeem you and restore what has been lost and can deliver you into your God-given 
destiny. His promises always hold true. So there's a warning here. There's an encouragement here. I just want to finally make a comment about David's mental state here. I think as we read this with a heart of tenderness towards David, who's faced enormous pressure and has crumbled to that pressure, I think we can, we can make a comment about his spiritual depression. We can make a comment about his emotional well-being. We can make a comment about, even about his mental health. And I just want to say from this pulpit that if we're wrestling with these things, this is the right place to be. All right? If you're wrestling with your emotional well-being, if you're wrestling with your mental health, if you're wrestling with spiritual depression, you will not be stigmatized here. Mental health is not a stigma here. Right? If we break our leg, we pray for physical healing, and we trust medical science to help us. If your mental state is broken, we pray God will heal you, and we trust medical science to help us. But you're not stigmatized here. You're not somehow a failure here. You're not somehow, I mean, all these other Christians, they're all, whoa, reigning in life, Superman Christians. I'm really struggling here. I'm, you know, I'm just really, really wrestling with all of this. Well, I'm glad you're here. And please stay here. Please don't go away. Please don't hear anything that we say as something to box you in and push you out. That's not the case. Mental health, I think, is something we are increasingly going to have to grapple with because of the way society is working out there. I think I'm telling you, the young people coming through are going to be wrestling with more and more mental health issues than we've ever, ever had to experience before because of the social media generation, because of the culture that we've created in the uh, cause of liberalism and freedom of speech. It's actually messing kids up. And, you know, that, I'm not an authority on these things. I'm just saying this is by my observation. So we're going to have to learn how tenderly to help people in a state of... Uh, where, where something's broken in their mental health and bring them through it. And, you know, God can heal. We need to take full advantage of everything that medical science has to offer. Don't lean only on medical science. I mean, again, I'm not an authority here, and, uh, you know, with all respect to all medical practitioners here, but my observation is sometimes they can be very quick to give a diagnosis, very quick to label people. Someone very uh, dear to me went to see the doctor because they were feeling very low and almost immediately was you know, uh, given a diagnosis of uh, bipolar and medication and that. And they said, well, no, can I just think about that for a while, please, and go and talk to someone else first and receive some counsel and talked it through and realised, no, that's not the route that is right for me. But for others, it may be the route. There are other people who are battling through, saying, you know, I don't want to give in to my mental health issues because people think that I failed as a Christian. When actually they need to just sit back and say, no, I need to accept some help here. You know? So I just want to... Do you hear what I'm trying to say here? I'm just trying to say, I don't want anybody to come in this room and think, because you're wrestling with spiritual depression or emotional issues of emotional well-being or wrestling with mental health issues, we take that very seriously here. And we want to work with you we're not against you saying, well, you know, trust in the Lord. Come on, pull yourself together. I mean, you do hear me say that sometimes, but, you know. 
that's to the people that should know better. But the people who are wrestling with these issues, no, come on. Let's stand together. Okay, I'm going to pray for us all, and then I'm going to invite any that really would appreciate some prayer uh, to make their way over to this corner that I'm directing us to at the moment, where it says prayer, next to this very large bathtub, where um, there'll be a team of people who'll be very, very willing to pray with you. Um, as we bring our meeting to a close here. So let's just, uh, uh, if, you know, if you're comfortable with this, bow our heads in prayer, lift our hands and surrender to the one who can always be trusted. And God, we want to put our hearts in your hands. Forgive us when we lean on our own understanding, when we try to battle these things out in our own strength. When you said, look, hey, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I will carry you. Cast your burdens onto me. But God, we just want to stand with those now who are feeling pressure, spiritually, who are feeling pressure. They're feeling tempted to take matters into their own hands. They're withdrawing from the counsel of others, thinking this is too hard. I can't, I can't stick it. I don't want to hear what anybody else has got to say. I, I've got to, I'm in self-preservation mode now. I've got to do what I think is best. Lord, we want to heed the, je- the, the, the caring warning of David's story. Uh, that never ends well. That never ends well. If you know someone who is in that state, reach out to them. They need you more now than ever. To just reach out to them and say, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you do this. And if you're in that place, reach out to God now. Flee to God. Don't cave in and crumble to that pressure. Open your heart to the truth and the love of God again. He won't let you down. Open your arms to loving friends who can help you. And to those who feel you have fallen far from where you would want to be in your walk with God, just an encouragement for you here. God can restore you and he can deliver you to your destiny. Reach out to him. Reach out to others. And finally, to those who maybe when my words struck a chord about wrestling with mental health and emotional well-being, just, just know that this is your home. Know that the people that God has put around you want the best for you. Know that you must not trust everything your heart tells you. You mustn't retreat into that lonely place and give in and cave in to what your heart says. Receive the love and counsel of God. Receive the love and counsel of your loving friends. Let us walk with you on this journey. God can heal you. We give thanks to God for medical science that can help us. But your issues of mental health will not deny you your God-given destiny. I prophesy that over you. Anybody who is wrestling, even as I speak, I prophesy it over you. You know, Even if you wrestle with your emotional well-being and mental health to your dying day, it will not deny you the God-given destiny that he has placed upon your life. So don't let it, don't let it define you. Let the mercy and grace of God define you. Jesus is sufficient. 
Jesus is big enough for all of this. We give you honour and praise, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.